Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church. Uh, this weekend, we are back in our study from the Gospel of Matthew. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the parables of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Now, here's the uniqueness of uh, the kingdom parables in Matthew. They all begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like Jesus uses a common story from day-to-day life to explain an aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Some of the parables of Jesus are harder to interpret, while others are pretty straightforward. This weekend, we're going to look at two stories that are easy to understand, but its application can be very challenging. Let me set it up with a modern-day fictional case study that I found in a book by Chip Ingram. Imagine Karen is an art professor at a university. She's traveling in Europe looking for paintings she can add to her personal collection. In a small village in southern France, Karen sees an auction where many paintings are for sale. Among the numerous paintings... She notices something that looks quite stunning. It resembles an original work by Picasso. However, the people at the auction tell her this cannot be an original Picasso's work, but only a copy because the signature at the bottom does not look like Picasso's. Karen gets her magnifying glass and studies the painting, examines it carefully, And through her vast knowledge of art, Karen knew that Picasso's early works only had his initials. It's only after a year he had been painting that he signed with his full signature. So the painting she's looking at was indeed a priceless work of art. One of Picasso's earliest masterpieces, a rare gem worth millions. Now, not knowing its value, the auctioneers put it for sale for just $25,000, and no one was bidding for it. What should Karen do? $25,000 is a lot of money. It would mean she has to sell her entire collection of paintings in order to raise the amount. But Karen also knew what she would get in return was worth millions. So she's at a crossroads. What would be your advice to Karen? Will you ask her to go for it or play it safe? I know what I'll say to Karen. I'll tell her, Karen, you have a straightforward decision here. If you know the value of the painting that you're looking at, that this is indeed Picasso's original work of art, your entire collection is worth nothing compared to this one. If you can only get this masterpiece, you're going to make the news. You're going to be famous. It's worth giving everything you have, Karen. In fact, it would be foolish on your part to let go of this opportunity. Just go for it. Now, like this fictional case study, Jesus also used two similar stories. Both parables had the same main point. It talked about the incredible value of the kingdom of heaven and why it was worth giving up everything to be part of it. The text we're going to be looking at is from Matthew chapter 13, 
verses 44 to 46. Wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we want you to open our eyes that we will be able to see Jesus high and exalted in all his splendor and glory. That you will give us a glimpse of how worthy Jesus is. And what a privilege it is to be part of your kingdom. That it's worth sacrificing everything so we can be yours. So minister to each one of us. Open our hearts to receive the truth from your word. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I believe all of us gladly sacrifice for what we want most in life. And we don't even make a big deal of it. Now imagine a young couple saving up to travel through Europe. It's their dream destination. They've been wanting to go so badly, so they've been saving for months. Every time the paycheck arrives, they take a large portion and reserve it for their dream holiday. And finally, what feels like a very long time, they go to Expedia and see a great travel deal. They purchase their tickets. The COVID season is over, and off they fly to Europe. And do you think they're sad? Or do they gripe when they are on the airplane? Why are we doing this? It cost us a fortune. Now, when they are standing before the Eiffel Tower or the Big Ben for a picture, they're not saying to each other, look how much we sacrificed to get here just to take this stupid selfie. No, they're excited and the selfie goes right into their social media page immediately to let everybody know how happy they are and make their friends jealous. When they are enjoying fine dining in Italy, do they ponder about the times they refuse to go out and eat to save money? No. That is the last thing on their mind. I tell you, when they are in Europe, they don't mind all their sacrifices in the past, what they gave up in order to get there. Because this was their dream vacation. They've been setting their sights on this for a long time. And in light of what they are getting in return, all their sacrifices become so small. That, to me, is the point of Jesus' parable. If you value the kingdom of heaven as priceless, you will gladly give up everything to be part of this kingdom. What Jesus is describing in these two parables was not entirely uncommon or unreasonable in his time. People couldn't invest their money safely in a financial institution in those times. No safe walls or lockers to store their wealth. 
So the best way to keep money safe was by hiding it. You dig a hole and hide the stash of money or gold in your field. It's a top secret. No one knows about it except you. And as it happens in so many cases, people are bad at predicting their own death. They die unexpectedly and no one knows where the treasure is. So in this case, the, uh, the first parable Jesus shares here, a man who's probably a hired worker is working in the field, maybe plowing it, or planting a tree, or digging a ditch. And while he's digging, he comes across a great treasure. And what does he do? He quickly hides the treasure, goes back home, and offers to buy the field. As per the rabbinic laws, when you buy the field, everything in the field becomes yours. So that's his way of discreetly claiming the stash of money or gold uh, that he found. So to buy the field, he needed money. And for that, he had to sell everything he had. Hey, imagine what the neighbors thought of him. Are you going crazy? Why are you selling all your stuff? Where are you going? Are you taking us somewhere? The man is silent. He can't give an answer. But once he raises enough money, immediately he goes and he buys the field. This is the deal of his life. In the second story, using uh, different specifics, Jesus is making the same point. There's a merchant who deals with pearls. And look at the text, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. During Jesus' time, pearls were in great demand, more than gold. It was a status symbol for the wealthy. Merchants who sold pearl had to travel to far-off places, go on long voyages looking for these expensive ornaments. And this particular merchant is uh, in some far-off place looking for the best pearls. And lo and behold, he finds a pearl of incredible value. This is outstanding, nothing like he has ever seen before. And to buy this one, he has to sell all his assets. But the merchant figures it's worth selling all his collection of pearls in order to get this one because he's going to make a huge profit. Both stories showcase acts of reckless sacrifice. But this is what they both have in common. In both stories, the individuals involved were sure, confident, that they were getting something of far greater value than what they were giving up. That's their motivation to sell everything. They were going to gain way more than they were going to lose. What they were going to give up was just a small fraction. So this is a wise and calculated decision. And that is why there is the element of joy in these parables. You can't miss it. And look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So great is the value of what the person has found that it caused great joy. He's not grudgingly selling everything. He's not grumbling. This is like Karen in our story. If Karen sells all her art collection to lay hold of Picasso's original work, she will do it joyfully because she's going to gain way more than what she's going to lose. So in the same way, this man's heart was flooded with joy when he sold everything to buy the field with treasure. While the second parable does not specifically allude to joy, it is implied. I bet the merchant had to keep a straight face as he is buying the pearl of great price that has been priced way too low. And he's trying hard to contain his excitement. And once it's all a done deal, the papers are signed and they shake their hands. Finally, he can let out a scream of excitement for he hit the jackpot. And let's not forget, both parables also emphasize the cost. The man had to sell everything he had in order to buy the field. The merchant had to sell all his pearls in order to get this one. And you may tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, you just gave up all your possessions. You lost everything. Are you not feeling sorry? And the person would look at you and say, no, this is the best deal of our life. Let's not minimize this. The cost involved was everything, their life savings, their years of hard work, but what they were getting in return outstrips the cost. Now, I've been beating around the bush. Here's the question for you and me, simple and straightforward. Do we see the kingdom of Jesus as so precious, so valuable, so worthwhile that whatever we have to give up in order to be part of the kingdom appears to be nothing because of what we are getting in return? Will you gladly choose Jesus over anything else in this world because he is the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price? You have to give up your sinful habits, rearrange your priorities, sacrifice your dreams, surrender your future rights to follow this Jesus and be part of his kingdom. Will you take the plunge? Now, you will do it if you comprehend the value of Jesus' kingdom. That's the bottom line. We sacrifice for what we perceive to be of great value. If we are unwilling to sacrifice, it doesn't mean we are not spiritual. It means we don't comprehend the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you two examples from the Bible, one positive and one negative of how this played out in someone's life. And then I'll draw some application for us. Let me start with the negative example. 
This is a well-known character who shows up in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, popularly known as the rich young man. He was rich, he was young, and on the outside, he had the good life. Now, even though he had everything, he did not have life abundant and full, a life of meaning and purpose that brought fulfillment. There was a great deal of emptiness in his heart, a void that nothing else could fill, not even religion. This young man had tried hard to live a self-righteous life. He put in all the efforts to obey all of God's commandments and yet did not find the peace he was yearning for. He wanted eternal life and came to the right place and asked the right question to the right person. Now look at Jesus' response to this young man. Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's fascinating. This is not words of rebuke that Jesus is issuing at him. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And look at his response. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What was Jesus asking this young man to do? By asking him to sell everything, Jesus was revealing his heart's priority. Jesus was asking him to give up his treasure so he can get something of far greater value. That's what the guy in our parable did. Found a field of treasure and sold everything to buy that field. Because the treasure he was getting in return was greater than the small sacrifice he's called to make. But the rich young man could not see the surpassing value of the kingdom, what Jesus was willing to offer. He was unwilling to give up because he was too short-sighted. And the rich young man just walked away, never to be seen again. Over the years, I have met with several people who come to me with spiritual questions. They want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. But when they hear the truth of the gospel and the cost of discipleship, they walk away. They don't see the value of what they will receive in return. Thankfully, there's a positive example in the Bible we can emulate. And that comes from another young man, perhaps rich, very prominent and well-known, certainly very self-righteous. And this man stumbled on the treasure of Christ's kingdom, and he gave up everything joyfully to be part of this kingdom, and there was no turning back. The young man I'm referring to is the Apostle Paul. Now look at the words of the Apostle Paul, how he describes his personal experience of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So this comes from a man who had everything going his way. There's so many things Paul could brag about. He had such a great pedigree and spiritual status. Now look at Paul's resume before he met Jesus. By anyone's standards, it looks impressive. He's a true Jew, part of God's chosen people. He was circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of his righteous living. He was part of the tribe of Benjamin. The very first king of Israel, Saul, comes from the same tribe. When it comes to the law, Paul was a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means separated once. Trained under Gamaliel, Paul was a scholar, part of an orthodox, conservative, elite group with a great future in, in store for him. And what about his zeal and passion? Paul was so anti-Jesus, so zealous for the law, he thought the Christian faith was a little cult, and he hated Christians and persecuted the church. But on that day on the road to Damascus, when Paul encountered the risen Jesus, Everything changed at that moment. There was a total turnaround, a radical reorientation took place. And all those things that he perceived as gain, the things that he valued, admired, treasured, he termed it as a loss and made one thing as the chief underlying passion and motivation of his life. Knowing Christ, his relationship with Jesus was of far greater value than everything else. His pedigree, class, religious accomplishments, promising future. Paul was willing to suffer the loss of all things to gain one thing, Jesus. He says here in the text we read in Philippians 3, I consider everything else as garbage. You know, that word translated garbage is a strong Greek word. The word garbage actually doesn't do justice to it. It's actually referring to excrement or some foul-smelling junk. So an accurate translation of that would be, you get it. The four-letter word we don't use in church that begins with an S. I consider all these things as beep. See, that's how Paul referred to the things he treasured before in comparison to the relationship he now has with Jesus. And here's the deal. Do we want the kingdom of heaven so badly that we gladly we are willing to give up whatever the cost because what we give up is nothing compared to what we receive 
in Christ. I know what some of you are wondering. Do I have to give up everything in order to be part of Jesus' kingdom? The answer is yes, absolutely. For he will have it no other way. When you are part of the kingdom of heaven, you have a king, you have a lord, you serve a new master, and you submit to his authority. When you enter into Jesus' kingdom, all that you have is no longer yours. It becomes his. Our resources are placed at his disposal. We place the keys in his hands and let him take the driver's seat of our life. For that very moment, Jesus comes into your life. You're no longer the owner, but your position changes into a steward. A steward of your gifts, talents, money, influence, everything you have. None of that belongs to you. It all belongs to Jesus. And we don't surrender these things grudgingly or hesitatingly. We do it with great joy. How is it possible? You may be wondering. It is possible when you understand what you're giving up is nothing compared to what you're receiving from Jesus. David Livingston, a Scottish physician, was one of the most well-known Christian missionaries from the 19th century. He was a pioneer explorer whose explorations made it possible for other missionaries to be able to go to Africa and bring the gospel message. If you're a young person listening to me, read David Livingston's biography. It will inspire you and take your faith to a new level. Let me say this to you young people. We have not done you any favor when we have taken this precious gospel message and diluted it and minimized the cost of discipleship and sold your generation a set of easy believism and empty spiritual platitudes. Just say a prayer and here you are on your way to heaven. No wonder you feel so disillusioned with this message. But that is not the gospel Jesus preached. Following this gospel, following this Jesus is going to cost you a radical reconditioning of your priorities. It will involve sacrifices, young people. Jesus demands all of your allegiance. That is the true gospel. But you are going to be blessed in return with a life of meaning and purpose and joy, a life that is so attractive and worth emulating. Going back to David Livingston, young Livingston labored for years in the African continent. Once he was mauled by a lion walked into 
the branch of a tree and lost one of his eyes. He suffered the death of his close family members in the mission field. He saw the brutality of the slave trade in Africa and he fought against it. Just a year before he died in 1873, he wrote in his journal on his 59th birthday, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to Thee. And after suffering for so many years to make pathways for the gospel into the continent of Africa, Livingston said this in one of his speeches. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. No sacrifice? Mauled by a lion, losing an eye, losing family members, being separated from them for so long, uh, giving up a life of ease and comfort and willingly embracing such a tough calling is not a sacrifice. It is not a sacrifice in comparison, in light of the eternal rewards that Livingston lived for. That was no sacrifice at all. So long as we are fixated on what we have to give up to be part of the kingdom, we will make a big deal of ourselves. We need to stop focusing on our sacrifices and fix our eyes on Jesus and His sacrifice. The Christian testimony is not, look how much I have done for Jesus, but look how much Jesus has done for me. For you and I, we were like that stinking garbage, wallowing in our sins, living in darkness and filth, and our hearts were far away from God. And instead of just throwing us into the garbage pile, Jesus treated us as treasures worth pursuing. And He gave up everything, sacrificed all that He had, emptied Himself of the glories of heaven to be nailed to a cross and suffer the worst possible form of death. And because of that one act of sacrifice, we today are now part of His kingdom. We receive a new status, a new identity. We are showered in His love, and we are embraced into God's own family. The Christian life is lived in response to Jesus' sacrifice out of gratitude. Our giving up it's nothing compared to what He gave up. For we will never, never be able to repay the debt that we owe. So we stand simply in awe of Jesus, the one who has done all this for us. And we gladly, joyfully, deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. He say from our heart, all that I am and all that I have belongs to you, Jesus. I'm blessed to be part of your kingdom. At this time, 
I want to hand it back to our worship team to lead us in a closing song. And this song articulates quite well the response God desires from us to this message. So would you, even as you sing this song, take time to ponder and reflect. Have you given up everything to follow Jesus? Have you given him full control over your life? When you realize all that he has done for you and the privilege that you have in being part of his kingdom, the little things that we give up pale in comparison.